Hello and welcome to the Rubber Duck Dev Show. I'm Chris. I'm Creston. And tonight we talk about how you learn a new code base. Um, well, we'll have some tips. Everybody learns differently, but there are some things that we've learned over the years that may make it a little easier for you. But before we get into that, we can review. How was your week? I'm very tired because the past two days I've been in mark marketing training, so unrelated to coding. So my brain's had to work on stuff it's not used to. Yikes. But the hope is this will actually contribute to revenue. But anyway, other than that, in terms of the consulting side of things, um, did some DevOps consulting, some server upgrades, and actually some downgrades to save some customers some money. Um, <clears throat> on my own apps, actually started doing a bit of a performance deep dive on, on some things. So it's not that any customers compl were complaining about anything, but I've started getting, I've been on New Relic's plan and I haven't used New Relic all that much because I really haven't had any issues with performance or whatnot, but I've never dug in to use it. Mm -hmm. Whenever I've, again, most of my performance management is dealing with the database and optimizing it or writing the codes so that the database returns the data faster. That usually solves 90, 95% of the problems. Well, I'll say 85 to 90% and then caching handles the view problems typically for me. Um, <clears throat> excuse me, but New Relic started talking to me, sending me things like, hey, you may want to upgrade to this plan or this plan. And it's a big, huge product I've never really dug into and, and learned a lot from. So I said, you know, I think I'm going to move to something else. Now, I considered two alternatives. One was Skylight, which is a focused performance management tool. The other is AppSignal. And I chose to go with Skylight, or at least that's what I'm assessing first, because I already use Honey Badger for my error reporting. And AppSignal is kind of like does all the things, mm -hmm. um, you know, monitoring and uptime and, you know, a bunch of stuff. I said, well, I've already got Honey Badger and I'm happy with that. I know how it works. I don't have any issues with it. So I said, well, I just kind of want the performance piece. And that's kind of what Skylight is. So I said, all right, I'll give that a try and see how that works. So basically I've, I've put that on and it's, it's good having a focus tool because it, I just look at it. Where's New Relic? It does, you know, all the bells and whistles and all mm -hmm. the things are going on. And, you know, Scout APM is the same way, presumably. And Datadog has enormous mm -hmm. depth in what it can do, which I know you had mentioned. Right. And I've, I've used them a little bit, but um, I kind of just wanted a focus tool focused tool. And what's interesting is that, you know, in the first screen there, it shows you, okay, these are your, you know, it's front and center. These are your, you know, pain points or whatever, or issues that need to be addressed. So I just kind of looked at it and said, oh yeah. So I could do these things to, you know, help it make it better and reduce the, you know, pain or whatnot, or the load times of certain things. Right. So I've been digging into that. And actually I had noticed some weird behavior with my app where sometimes a call to my application, there was, you know, some delay in doing it. And I was like, that's odd. And then looking at Skylight, it's actually telling me 
I'm, I'm, I'm will believe when I'm, I'm interpreting this correctly is that for a given query, like to get user information, sometimes it allocates 10 or 20 units. And then sometimes it allocates 10,000. And I'm like, what the heck is that? And this is me literally just going on like um, a single page that just queries the user for something <clears throat> and just keep hitting refresh. And four out of five times it returns and it does returns quickly. So low response time and the allocations are very small memory allocations, but then one in five times as an example, it goes up to thousands of allocations. And I believe that's why the response response times have extended. Hmm. I was like, what the heck is this? Yeah. I've tried Googling it, you know, variability and memory allocation, you know, but I haven't been able to find anything yet. So I may, I'm I'm looking into that. I may have some more information later, but that's just an oddity I discovered. Weird. Yeah, that's that's one of the things that kind of you have to be careful of with tools is the ones that go too in depth can just be confusing noise and the the signal to noise ratio gets really bad. That's one of the things that I'm not particularly excited about Datadog with is that it's a it's a great tool and what it does it does really well, but for my brain it does too much. I need simple focus things. And it's just got it's got every bit of information you could ever want to have, and I only need five percent of it. So it just yeah, overloads and, my big brain. Yeah, because I mean these big tools, you know, I'm sure they have ways to create your own custom dashboards, and then yeah, that's they do. the kind of way you got to go to show you what you need. But again, that's more work on your part, or that's another FTE's time to exactly. you know, invest in that. So. And I don't. Yeah, I just. Uh, I don't have time to devote to learning that tool that well because it's for or, me, it's an it's, ancillary tool. Yeah. Or it's someone in your organization needs to become the expert and set up the dashboards to communicate, you know, right. what people need to know. And, and in our organization, we have that. We have an infra team that they, they have data dog experts that do that kind of stuff. But, you know, me looking at it is like, uh, uh that's one of the reasons I really like App Signal. It does. It, it's kind of a one-stop shop. It does a lot of things, but it's very good at partitioning those things and making them very focused. Instead okay. of and, and here's all the it. stuff. Yeah. yeah, and I've been trying it. It may be very good. I just happened to choose. I just chose this path because I said, "Well, I got something I'm using. I'll just add this on." Yeah, yeah. Because if you get App Signal, then really there's not a lot of reason i don't think for honey badger because app signal kind of takes over that bit as well um it was nice having that kind of stuff all with the the, the apm part and the the error trapping part all connected together uh was useful in a few cases so but yeah it's those overwhelming tools are just they break my little brain <laughs> so so yeah, my my week, I've spent maybe over the past five working days a grand total of fifteen minutes actually programming. Um, I've been working mostly on 
doing the the project management stuff and dealing with um, customer relationships and all the administrative managerial things, which which I enjoy, but it was just it, that just took over my whole week. There were so many meetings and stuff this week that I just got almost zero programming time. I fixed a couple of little tiny bugs. So, you know, I did accomplish some programming, but not a whole lot. A lot of research and and uh, handshaking and stuff like that. So, you know, but sometimes you just you just have those kind of weeks. Yeah. But it's fine because yeah. I actually enjoy that stuff. I'm kind of, I think I'm kind of odd for a programmer in that I really like the people interaction management process part probably more than the actual programming, but I don't know. I'm kind of weird. So, well, I think you kind of, you like doing both. So I think you I like do. spending time in each area. Yeah. It gives, yeah. gives my brain a nice break, you know, so it doesn't get monotonous in one thing. Cause I do get tired of one part after a little, after spending too much time on it. And it's nice to switch over to something else fresh in the brain. Cause it's a completely different type of thinking. So it's yeah. it's a nice recharge when I get to do that. So yeah, it's just it was you know I'm a I'm a senior dev and I did 15 minutes of programming in five days. That's that's just weird. But well, but if you optimize project management processes to help all the other devs be more efficient, yeah, there you go. Part of my job. All right, so how do you learn a new product or code base so there's programmers are um usually end up moving to new jobs or new teams on a fairly regular basis no, and so so yeah <laughs> right yeah and so we encounter a lot of new code bases that we have to learn and we have to learn how to do it quickly so that we can be productive as as quickly as possible um, sometimes that's not a big deal. If it's a fairly small code base, like a little open source utility thing, or, you know, just something small, you can just sit and read the code, read the docs and, and be on your way. So we're not really talking about that. That's easy enough, right? What we're kind of talking about is when you've got a large product code base type thing that you have to learn and get your head around. Uh, particularly if you're going into something big enough that it requires a team of people. But even even single shop kind of products can be really big um, and complex and, and take a lot to learn. So it's more than just knowing the language and reading the code. In fact, Knowing the language and reading the code is actually a very small part of learning the code base, in my experience. So, one of the best things I've found when I'm trying to learn something, a new set of code, is not to look at the code first. Don't look at the code at all. Get training on the product as if you're an end user. Learn how to use the thing that the code does as the end users use it. So, and get all the training you can so you can understand what it's supposed to do. 
because you can look at all kinds of code. You may hit some code and say, oh, I could optimize this or this should work this way. But you don't know the context in which that code, that that line of code sits. And you may screw something up really bad because you don't understand what it's actually supposed to do. Um, you're missing the intent part of the code. So I think it's really important as a first step to just figure out how the product works from an end user perspective. Um, so that's usually my first step in trying to dig into a new code base. Um, the, and then after you do that, and you've kind of got a good idea of the lay of the land and what the product's supposed to do and have a good understanding of that part of it, then you start looking at the code. But there's there's two major different ways to start here. Um, because people learn differently. But broadly speaking, people tend to either think top-down or from general to specific or bottom-up from specific to general, right? I'm, I'm a top-down learner, so I like to get the bird's-eye view of the system first. I'll draw diagrams of the whole system, make sure I understand what it looks like if I was in a plane above it. Um, get other people on the team or people who know or people who have written this to look at my diagram and say, yeah, this is right. No, this is actually like this. And don't don't try to, at this point, diagram every little thing. You You put it in big functional chunks. And just how do those things relate? Once you get that understanding, then you can take one of those functional chunks and break that down and diagram just that functional bit out and start understanding that. And you keep digging your way down until you're actually looking at specific code and methods and things like that. That gives you, for me, that gives me context to work in so that I understand, hey, if I change this part of code, it could have an effect on this thing over here that I don't necessarily see right as I'm looking at this code. My brain needs that to be able to, to function, to, to learn new code. Now, bottom-up thinkers, and, and this is just as successful, just not for me, not for my way of thinking. Um, but there's a, a guy on our team who, has, who learns this way. You start with a very specific function. Get somebody to explain that function to you. This, this thing on this page, this widget, it does this thing. Figure out how to make it do this other thing. Just work on that widget. Be the master of that widget. Start there. <laughs> and once you're the master of that widget, then you start learning widget 2.x that's next to it, right? Or or the thing that relates to that. Find another little bit of code or a little area of code that's kind of tangential to that thing that you become a master of. And then you just start building out from there. Now, of course, it, in the real world, you know, this sounds good on paper and it's it's easy to say that stuff, but in the real world, this oftentimes gets mixed up. You may draw a big diagram and then you have to go focus on a part because you have a bug you got to fix or something so you go dig deep into a specific thing 
before you drill all the way down to it. So some of the sometimes you may kind of bounce back and forth, but it's kind of important to understand the general way that you learn, whether you like to start with the specific and learn out or start with the thousand foot view and learn in. Yeah, my experience is a little bit different because, you know, I do consulting and a lot of times I, people bring me in to say, okay, I got this issue. I need to fix this issue. And I don't have the luxury of time to, all right, let me look at all the code. I want to write diagram, whatever, or I want an ERD diagram of the entire database mm -hmm. so I can figure out what the, you know. Whereas that might be nice to have, I don't have that. So basically, I usually go from endpoint and go from there. So for example, if it's something having to do with logins, I was like, okay, where is the, the sign up page or the login page? And then I say, okay, and I go to the actual screen that the in the web browser. Mm -hmm. So it's a little bit of that learning the tool by looking at how it really looks for the end user. I'm like, okay, what's the URL? Okay, that's the endpoint. So now I take what that endpoint is, I go to the router, I find it. Mm -hmm. All right, this router is taking me to this, in the example of Rails, they would take you to a controller. So I go to that controller and say, all right, and then what method is it calling? Okay, that's the method. And then what is this method doing? And where does it call? What does it do? You know, so that's how I have to do it. I take it from endpoint down. And then while I'm doing that, I say, oh, well, this method's being called in the controller. This is nowhere here. Is this a parent of an, another controller or is it method located in an application controller? That, so that kind of informs me, sorry, a little bit of the architecture as I'm doing it. Mm -hmm. Um. And then, you know, once you get down to a method and say you need to make a change to fix a bug or, or make a change, then I kind of also do a little bit, not the way you're saying bottom up, but I go bottom up by saying, okay, I've gone from endpoint down and I'm proposing making a change in the method. Okay, what else calls this method? So that's when I grep mm -hmm. the entire code base for this method call to see Okay, what else is touching this thing <laughs> that I'm potentially going to be touching? Right. And I think that's an important point. Whichever way you, you, whether you're drilling down or going from the bottom up, once you start working on code, especially if you're just learning the code base, you will never have a full understanding of the context of what your changes may impact. So you need to go find those calls through the entire code base and examine that and say, okay, all right, this thing is being called in this other functional area. I need to understand some of that too, so that I make sure I don't make an inadvertent change that breaks, breaks that. those endpoints or whatever. Yeah. Right. What those endpoints are doing. Yeah. And as you do that, you start, you will get to that point of having to change a piece of code regardless of which end of this you start on. Once you get to that point, that's when you need to start branching out your understanding. 
from there. In so much as it relates to the piece of code that you're working on. Usually I wouldn't recommend, okay, this, this piece of code gets called from this also, other functional area also, let me go learn everything about this other functional area. You usually don't need to go in that deep because you end up going down a rabbit hole at that point and you never actually get the thing done that you set out to do. So you got to be a little careful with that. But it is a good idea to have a basic understanding of where in the architecture this thing applies and what those things generally do so that you can understand the context that you're working in. If you're lucky, this thing is only ever called from one functional area, and so you don't have to worry about it. But that's the way you're going to start building your knowledge of the overall product, is running through those checks and, and slowly learning the code. So even if you start like I do with a top-down, so understanding the, the main architecture and, and drilling down into it, you're not actually going to be learning a lot of code until you start working on a piece of code. You're just learning context doing it that way, which for me is important. For some people, that just overloads their way of thinking. I'm not saying it's bad. I'm just saying it's that's not how I do it, but there are people that do it that way. And so they need to start with the piece of code. But the writing of code is always starting with a piece of code. So then you start branching your knowledge out from there. But I think... Yeah, I, have, I haven't really had the luxury of really looking at the whole thing. Or it would just burn a lot of hours, which of right. course some customers aren't really interested. And so I've, just, I've gone with this more focused approach. And then... Given my experience as a systems administrator in DBA, I have the attitude, first do no harm. So before I change any code, that's where I do the, all right, let's grip the whole code base for anything else calling this thing and, you know, right. try to do my due diligence to make sure I'm not going to break anything with any code changes. Oh, for sure. And I think it's important, too, to kind of make a distinction between... I'm joining a team for the long haul, and so I meant to understand this code deeply and broadly versus I've been contracted to fix a bug or fix a little functional thing or add a particular feature. I don't necessarily need to know the entire scope of it. So I still think, regardless, you should understand what this is doing for the end user. Oh yeah. I mean, because that's, yeah, that's what I do first. I yeah. take it from a, what's the user interface. I mean, that could be, you know, when I say endpoint, that could be an API, but it right. is also what URL are they going to? What screen are they seeing? And as a result, it's calling, you know, these different things because one screen with a URL may actually be calling with JavaScript, different endpoints to pull back data or whatnot. Right. And you also, I mean, even if you're reading like an HTML page, you may not know really what that's what that looks like without actually looking at it because CSS can do so many different things to what the actual HTML is. So 
finding out what the end user experience is supposed to be, I think is a very important first step, regardless of what you're there for and which way you learn. Yeah, and and I also say that because I've I've read some other people talking about learning code bases and they're like, okay, I look at all the classes and I get the whole scope. And I'm like, geez. I'm like, I don't think I could do that. I mean, I think I'm used to doing this just because I think out of necessity, but I think it's just the way that I would work generally because mm-hmm. trying to get the whole thing. I mean, I like doing that from a database perspective, like the like the tables perspective and what's being stored, because that gives me a, a good sense. But I can't imagine doing it for the code base. And see, that's just flip that's side just of the, me. Flip side of the coin is I can't imagine not doing that. It would, I just I wouldn't be able to comprehend what I was doing because you know it's just the way my brain functions and how I'm trained because I I come from more of a project management background where I have to have the whole picture to be able to deal with things and so when I go to learn a code base that's how my brain just wants to learn it so it it just has to start there otherwise I'm one of those people that gets lost in the weeds if I don't have a map of the prairie you know so, and you know, it's just it, because everybody learns differently, you just have to figure out different things. And as I said before, it's there's not really a prescriptive way to learn a new code base. It's not like step one, do this, step two, do this, step three, do this, step four, do this, and you'll learn it all, everybody, all the time, forever. It, everybody learns a little differently. I, but. I do think from a prescriptive standpoint, step one has always got to be some sort of end user experience learning. Yeah. Um, how broad that is depends on what you're, what you need to do in the code base. But I think you always need to start there. So. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely agree. So out of curiosity, what about, I know we haven't talked about tests yet, but a lot of people like understanding a code base by looking at the tests. What's your opinion on that? Uh, yes, I do. It, where it comes in my learning process is I will, I'll get my, my, ba- my big diagram, the overall functions, um, or the overall architecture, I'll understand that. Then I'll go to a particular functional area, kind of understand the overalls of that. Then I'll actually start go looking through tests for that are related to things that I'm trying to work on my first project and read those tests. So, you know, if, if I'm told, hey, we want you to go fix this bug in this area, I'll find out where that bug is, find those methods, and find any tests that call those methods or exercise those methods or the methods that call them and go look at those tests because that tells me a lot about the intent of what this code is supposed to do because you can't always tell that just from reading the code and intent is important i just had a thing today where i had to have a i had to set up a meeting for tomorrow because there was a a bug that i could fix i found it i could fix it 
but I wasn't there when the code was written, so I have to find out what the intent is because there are several things that could go very wrong if I don't understand the intent of that code. And it's just not possible to know that just from the code itself in this case. Now, reading tests helped, but it's not always possible to have 100% intent coverage with tests. And this is a case where I have to make sure. But intent is really important. Yeah, I know, I've heard that, you know, looking at tests is a way to understand the code. And that may be possible in some code bases, but I, I haven't relied on that as much to understand what's going on. Depends on how well the tests are in my written. Yeah, in, in my experience, yeah. So... Yeah, because sometimes I have a harder time. It's much easier for me to, I guess, do a call stack, like <laughs> trace a call stack from endpoint and go down, okay, what gets called? That's much easier to understand. And then again, go what, what I'll call bottom up is like, okay, once I get to my target method, all right, grep to find, okay, what has called it is right. much easier than looking at the tests and try to figure what's been targeted and what the intent is. I mean, eventually, of course, I have to address the tests because new tests need to be written with different features or tests need to be resolved because the code change will actually break tests, for example. Right. But in terms of understanding the code, I haven't, haven't had it help me out a lot in that area. I mean, it does on occasion, but not as much as I hear in the community usually. Right. And, and it, it, again, that has to do, I think there's two big things there. One is the, the way of thinking, because I'm more of a conversational thinker um, than a logical thinker. Tests are more natural for my brain, I think, because it, it, at least like RSpec and stuff, you can read them kind of like English. Assuming, and this is point two, that they are well-written and organized properly. I have seen some test bases that are just, even the people that wrote them have no idea what's supposed to be happening in there. And they're so, they're just gross, right? And so that that's not gonna help you at all. But um, it's, it's, uh, it's just kind of a difference in, in learning style, I think, as to whether you wanna go with the tests I mean, at some point, like you said, you have to get to the test, but whether it's it's a method of learning or a method of checking is, I think, just a difference in learning methods for people. Yeah, I usually don't use it to learn as much, but definitely, you know, is addressed when necessary. So do you, um, sorry, go ahead. So here's an important point, boys and girls, PSA. If you're writing tests, please write them so they're legible and so that the next programmer can look at them and say, oh, this is what this code is supposed to do. Sound like my third grade school teacher. Please <laughs> write so other people can read. <laughs> right, exactly. Too many times I've... So I know we've covered some of this, um, like I'll call them quality 
analysis tools or code quality analysis tools, like mm -hmm. I think you had covered Ruby Critic at all. How how do those help you understand the code base? Or what do those do for you? If Wait. or if you've used them in that capacity, I'm not sure. Uh, I haven't really used them. Well, I'll take that back. I have used them to kind of break down a functional area and see what kind of stuff is in there. Because some of them are really good, like Code Critic and things, or Ruby Critic is is kind of good at um, parsing that out or letting me parse that out and kind of get a a good picture of here's where heavy code is and here's where layouts are and here's kind of the the breakdown of naming conventions and stuff like that. Um, so uh, yes, I will occasionally use it for that, but that's not a primary tool that I use for learning a code base. Um, just because I, it's only occasionally useful for that purpose. Fantastically okay. useful for other purposes, but for that purpose, yeah, you can, but I haven't found it to be terribly important in most of the times I've tried to learn code. So, um, now, I will say, things like syntax standards... Like if I if I go and read a Ruby code base that's following community standards for syntax and spacing and all that stuff, it's a lot easier for me to read and understand that because structures in code and the way it's written are it, it, I can expect what I'm going to see. Whereas if there's a very strong departure from standard syntax it makes it harder to, to catch up on because brains aren't used to parsing unfamiliar things. So another good thing to do if, if you're working on one of these code bases and somebody's going to have to come in and read it is try to stick to industry standards for your language for syntax and formatting. That's actually really helpful. So... Um, so other th one other thing we haven't really covered that I know can help enormously in terms of learning a code base is pair programming oh, yes. or mentoring or whatnot. So, you know, working with someone who already has worked with the code or knows the code could definitely accelerate your, um, knowledge of understanding. Yes. I, I'm, I mean, I'm a big proponent of pair programming. For, for sure. Um, and yes, I, I, you know, I didn't bring that up because that's almost something that I don't even think about doing. It just happens with me. So I don't even consciously think about that. I'm trying to learn code by doing this because it's such, just such a natural part of my um, work process is getting people to pair with that. Uh, I don't even consciously think about it anymore. But you're right. That's that's a really important part of this, especially once you get to the point of actually writing actual code, right? Yeah. Regardless of which way and, you're learning it. Yeah, and it's more obvious to me because there are some engagements I go on where I can pair program, and then there's other engagements I go on where 
I can't program a pair program. So, you know, I'm, I'm kind of on my, on my own tackling something, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's a really good point. It's, it's something that I don't even think about anymore because I just, it just, it just happens, you know, but I'm also in a position where I, most of my career has been with larger teams. And so I have more access to, um, that ability than probably you have is doing more consulting type stuff um, where you're, where you're dealing with different teams and different companies uh, all the time. Um, So it's a little bit different, but yeah, pair programming is huge for information exchange. I can't think of a faster, better way to learn something about code than to pair with somebody who knows it. Yeah. That's, that's like, (laughs) hate to say it. That's easy mode. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, honestly it is. Yeah. So I I still, still would get end user training first, but yeah, as soon as you can start pairing with somebody in this, in this process, absolutely do that. So, all right. Any final thoughts on that? I think that's about it. So if you guys have any thoughts on that or ways that you like to learn code bases, please put them in the description below, in the in the comments below. We write in the description, you write in the comments. That's how YouTube works. Anyway, um, yeah, just put them down there. You know where it is. You've done this before. Um, I hope you enjoyed that. If you did, please make sure... And like and subscribe, just smash all the buttons and ding all the bells. Join us every Wednesday night at 8 p.m. Eastern Time for more Dev Talk. Also, bring a friend! It's lots of fun. Uh, Next week, we will be talking about, uh, a little more in depth, some common security vulnerabilities found in code, like cross-site scripting, man-in-the-middle, that kind of thing. We're going to take some of the more common ones and dig into what actually are they and how do you keep them from being a problem. If you have a topic you'd like to see on the show, please leave it in the comments below. Our podcast version is available in all the places that podcasts live. Uh, You can also find them on our website, rubberduckdevshow.com, and you can go there and sign up for our weekly newsletter. And you can follow us on Twitter, at DuckyDevShow. So, we will see you guys next week. And until then, happy programming! Happy programming!